On this episode of Water Flying, we are in Homa, Louisiana with seaplane legend, Charlie Hammonds. You are listening to Water Flying, a show dedicated to all things seaplanes. Brought to you by the Seaplane Pilots Association. My name is Steve McCoy. I'm the executive director of the Seaplane Pilots Association, which is the world's largest nonprofit advocacy organization dedicated to the protection and promotion of the water flying community. Climb aboard. We're about to start today's episode. Well, thank you for joining us again for Water Flying. I am so excited because today I am sitting down with a true legend of seaplanes here in Homa, Louisiana, as we literally sit in his own museum uh, here at uh, Hammonds Air Service. Charlie Hammonds is joining us today. He is a man with over 30,000 hours of seaplane time. And this is hardcore flying, my friends. And we're going to hear this legend's story uh, and his adventures, and uh, it is truly amazing. So, Charlie Hammond, thank you for sitting down with us on Water Flying today. Well, it's my pleasure. Doggone, I've been wanting to do this for, for a long time, and uh, we're getting it done today. <laughs> we are getting it uh, done that's right. today. Here we go. Uh, so, I, you know, I tell you, anywhere you go in Louisiana, uh, if you mention Charlie Hammond's name in the seaplane world, uh, it is uttered with uh, tremendous respect and admiration, and uh, you have really made an impact. Uh, we call it, uh, kind of referred to it as there was a group of five or six of you that were literally the uh, forefathers of seaplanes in Louisiana, and I think you're the only one left out of those. Yeah, I don't know why. <laughs> I worry about that sometimes. <laughs> and uh, this young man here sitting in front of me uh, founded a flight school in 1960, and he is still instructing today uh, in 2023, which is quite an accomplishment. So, Charlie, why don't you introduce uh, your amazing story of how you got involved in aviation and seaplanes to give them a little backstory? Well, we moved over from uh, southwestern Louisiana with my family here to Homa, and uh, way back in the in the fifties, early fifties, and uh, we moved uh, within uh, uh, probably a block and a half or so from a seaplane base, and uh, this is where I got my uh, my jo- first job uh, as uh, washing seaplanes and uh, taking care of them, and. Uh, uh, at uh, at uh, at twelve, wow. and I was very fortunate to be able to do that at such a young age. And uh, uh, one of the guys that uh, helped me do that is Lloyd Geist, Geist Seaplane Service. Lloyd was the first one in Homer to uh, to get to start a seaplane base, and uh, in the uh, probably uh, after World War II, late forties, early fifties. And I joined him uh, not too long after that as a lineman, and he was a wonderful man. He was good to me, and uh, he had his own uh, uh, boys working for him, his sons. He had three of them, 
And uh, he uh, took a liking to me. Uh, I worked real hard, and uh, and because of that, uh, as I grew up, uh, he got, soloed me when I was in uh, sixteen and got my commercial license on down, uh, you know, eighteen or nineteen. And then uh, at uh, by twenty one, he uh, decides he's going to retire, and I actually went into business for myself at that time, but. It was uh, nobody else that I can think of helped me as much as Lloyd Geist did. And Lloyd, so uh, just to back up a little bit, I mean, at 12 years old, you started washing these airplanes, and these were Grumman Widgeons, weren't they? No, these were all seaplanes. They were actually, we started off with uh, the old 170B, A and B models. Okay. And uh, they, these airplanes in South Louisiana, uh, the oil field type uh, airplanes operated in the salt water a lot, so they had to be washed every day. Mm-hmm. So I would, uh, I would uh, do that, and I, I worked by myself most of the time. And and the pilots would uh, tie them on the bank of the intercoastal canal, and I would actually start them up, bring them up the ramp because sometimes it's way after dark. Uh, and I finally, you know, when I would get through with these airplanes, uh, getting them all done. And uh, so, but it, it was a, a long process and a wonderful process for me. And uh, and again, it was, I finally got to uh, do what I wanted to in life, just to be around airplanes. And seaplanes are a special, special thing for me. I love them. Oh, yes. As we all do, yeah. I think. I hope everyone listening to this, yeah. obviously, has that passion. So you, uh, so you started uh, now, Lyle up at Southern Seaplanes has told me, matter of fact, and Rhonda and everyone else I talked to, pretty much everyone I talked to says, you have to have them tell the story of your first solo. <laughs> well, I, I tell everybody, I could not ever remember when I couldn't fly. And I tell you a little story, and of course, uh, it's all out now, so the, the, the sheriff is... <laughs> He's the sheriff he's is not, retired. He's retired and everything, and everybody's gone. But I, I, I mentioned earlier that I, the, the pilots would come in. We only had one ramp, so they couldn't. Uh, they, they would tie the airplanes along the bank. We had a bunch of tie downs there. And what I would do, uh, as I would bring one airplane up the ramp, uh, then I would get to go over and, and uh, pick up another one. Okay, and mm-hmm. I say pick up. I'd start it up. And then drive it around uh, to the ramp, and and uh, we had a tractor we used uh, to get that done. Well, what uh, what I did do is um, uh, a couple of times I decided that I was going to go ahead and uh, just get the airplane on the step. Okay, and uh, <laughs> I can and see then, where this is going. I, then, and then I would uh, drop off, and I would drop off the step, and then uh, then after one afternoon. Uh, this uh, one of these airplanes got off the water with me, and all I did was just pull the power back a little bit and, and set it back down on the water. And I said to myself, "Well, it, it doesn't appear to be uh, very difficult." So then uh, I got to where I was uh, flying the thing. Uh, I would f- take off and and fly around, and then uh, come back around. And then after a while, I'd take friends of mine for a ride. <laughs> But uh, I got caught doing that by Mr. Geist, and uh, so one day we. How came, old were you when you I were doing was, uh, that? Probably uh, f- uh, fourteen or fifteen. <laughs> so uh, I noticed the uh, when I came back in one day, 
I had closed the hangar doors, uh, and I noticed that um, the door was open about maybe a foot or two. And I told uh, some friends of mine that were taken for rides, I said, uh, now, first of all, I want to be sure everybody understands that this is not the thing to do, okay? So don't <laughs> run out and do it. But, but uh, I told him, I said, just get down in the airplane, and I'm going to jump off the float here and, and uh, find out who, who's been in this hangar. Well, when I jumped off the front of the airplane on, on, the, on the ramp, the door slid all the way open, and Mr. Geist caught me. Well, I had to admit that I had been doing that for, for quite a while, maybe, I don't know, several, several hours, I guess you'd say. And um, he told me, he said, well... He said, I ought to fire you. I ought to call the sheriff, but I'm going to get some insurance on you so that you can fly my airplanes. And, uh, and that's how, how, how good he was to me. Oh, that's and great. So when I, when I got to uh, be 16, of course, uh, he, he soloed me. And, uh, uh, well, he didn't have to because I already <laughs> knew what he was doing. <laughs> but what a wonderful guy. And uh, uh, he, he passed away a few years ago. But he, could, he, he was a true mentor for me. And without his help, I, I don't know what I would have done. And so then by you started doing lessons at 16. And by 17, you had done both land and sea ratings. Yeah, I did. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, I... Um, like I said, it's my my whole life has been aviation. I, my whole life has been uh, a lot of flying, uh, and uh, I couldn't ask for any, any more. I just I've uh, been blessed. Yeah, and so then back in 1960, you were 21. Yes, and you uh, decided to start your first seaplane uh, uh, base and charter operation. Yeah, what I did there, I um, with Mister Guys, uh, you know, leaving the area. Uh, I, uh, bought some property mm-hmm. and I bought up my first seaplane. Uh, and I, well, what did, well, that was a Cessna 180? A Cessna 180 was a brand new one. And how much was uh, it? Uh, probably, I think I was 28,000 for the whole thing. On had, floats. On floats. Yeah. 28,000 yeah, yeah, yeah. for a Cessna 180 yeah, on floats. Yeah, that's right. And, um, I bought that airplane from Ed LaSalle with, uh, Pelican Aviation in New Iberia. I had, uh, $6,000 total. I paid three thousand dollars down on the airplane, and uh, had three thousand dollars to operate with. But again, like I mentioned, uh, the uh, we were very fortunate because the oil field industry was just kicking up down here, mm-hmm. and I didn't have any any trouble at all uh, making it and uh, actually uh, increasing my my uh, airplane uh, the amount of airplanes that I had. And I bought just a bunch of them, you know, right fairly within three or four years. I had about probably nine yeah. total, something like that. And there's literally a picture of that property right here on the wall yeah, right next yeah, to us right yeah, now yeah, with a, sure a, a couple of seaplanes yeah. there. That's and, Southern, Southern Seaplanes, one of theirs there. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that's on the Intercoastal Waterway that yes, runs yes. through Homa here. Intercoastal runs all the way up to uh, New Jersey and I think no, to the Maine, Mexican all the coast. Way up to yeah, Maine. Yeah, 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 all the way, yeah, it, it's a... Uh, but uh, we we operated there for a long, long time, yeah. Yeah, and I've actually gone over there over the years, and uh, uh, it's not a seaplane base anymore. But uh, the some of the buildings still exist. Yeah, the buildings still. I wanted to buy those buildings, but they uh, they didn't want to. After I sold the property, they wanted to keep the buildings there. So yeah, so let's just. I mean, to give you credit for that, so you. I mean, literally. I mean, how many people start? 
a sea, buy a seaplane base, establish a seaplane base, start a flight school and a seaplane training and charter operation at 21. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty, pretty man. Yeah. Hats off to you there. Well, I, I was involved, uh, you know, with a lot of, a lot of oil field people. So consequently, I, they helped me out. They helped me get, I got a lot of business. I, I did quite well. And uh, just uh, the whole experience was, uh, was amazing. And how, how fast it did happen. Mm-hmm. It's, it's truly amazing when, when you think about it. Not because of, of my efforts. I'm talking about amazing. The, the oil field industry itself was amazing. How, oh, how yeah. It just gave us a, a lot of people a lot of opportunities, you know. Well, I have to tell you, I'm, I'm so thankful because uh, Lyle uh, at Southern Seaplanes uh, and I have gone out to a couple of oil rigs, uh-huh. uh, flown out by seaplane and uh-huh. tied up on them. Yeah. And tied up on the crew boats, and um, you the the mission here. So number one, uh, I have to really say I don't think the majority of people, when they think about seaplanes, I don't know that they realize how incredible the seaplane community was here and how vibrant it was, and that it had this hardcore commercial role of supporting the oil field yeah. industry. So why don't, because it's such a different uh, operations and I think people really understand that seaplanes perform. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about the mission here in Southern Louisiana for seaplanes? Well, keep in mind that we wasn't, we wasn't playing here. <laughs> yeah. anyway, we wasn't playing seaplane flying. We were, uh, it was hardcore. We were, it was hardcore. And the all field industry, I, I'm an all field pilot, so I, I know what I'm talking about. The all field industry flourished a lot because of seaplanes, because they used them constantly all along our coast. We had, uh, I'd say, between 250, 300 operating airplanes operating along our coast, going out every day, bringing parts out, equipment. Uh, at one time, 70% of my flying was taking salesmen out to these different uh, oil fields. Mm-hmm. And uh, they would, uh, and the oil companies would buy, a, uh, whether it be a rock bit to drill a well or a, a perforating tools to, to, to perforate Drilling well, mud. Drilling mud and the whole bit uh, from these salesmen. And uh, so we, uh, we, we spent a lot of time doing that. And... Um, but then what happened to the industry, at one time in Homa, we had 90 flow planes based here. We had four seaplanes based here in Homa. And all of a sudden, uh, today, we have one. Unbelievable. One seaplane. And that's why this story is so important to tell because... Think about 250 to 300 seaplanes flying these really hardcore missions. I mean... Uh, describe landing out at one of these uh, oil field is you know on one of these oil rigs. It's not uh, it's not very easy. Well, it's not. Uh, you, uh, I tell you, we had not speaking of, of, about my myself, but and all that we had some wonderful wonderful pilots down here. I'm talking about seaplane pilots that really knew what the heck they were doing. Mm-hmm. Where you have to we, in the place that we'd go into. Uh, we operated, of course, uh, along the coast and uh, some pretty choppy waters. We operated up in the Chaflaya Swamp, uh, where uh, where you uh, the uh, canals were very narrow and sometimes winding. 
and uh, all kind of different combinations and trying to dock on different things that uh, whether it be the wind being a problem, a current being a problem, or in other words, you really, really had to be savvy as far as knowing what the heck you're doing because you could destroy an airplane in just one docking. Yeah. Docking down current or something like that. It, it was very demanding, and you had to pay attention constantly, um, uh, you know, every every time you took a trip because it was different. Yeah. If it, if it was something that was the same thing every day, but it was different, like anything else, whether it be Alaska or different places like that, there are places uh, where it's uh, – it might be different every time you're going to, but South Louisiana, I can't think of a place that would would be totally different every day that you go into it. <laughs> yeah. Every day. Yeah. And and again, the you know, you go everything from saltwater ocean operations to really tight operations and canals and oh, sure. uh, take it off around corners and, and things like that, blind yeah. corners. It, yeah. Oh, and in the intercoastal, we operated uh, our seaplane bases here, and they had – Bridges, barges, and bridges, and uh, yachts, and everything else operating with us. So, uh, yeah, it was uh, not an easy thing to do. So, and the it was really interesting because the airplanes, and it was primarily the one eighty five was kind of the airplane of choice, wasn't it? Well, it was after a few years. You know, we started off with the one seventies and one seventy B models with, with the big flaps and everything. I thought that was a, 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 <laughs> a big, a big step up. Then we got, then we got to, of course, the one eighties and the one eighty fives. Kind of fit the bill for us because the Beavers and everything. Uh, I, I love those old airplanes, but they were too big to mm-hmm. do what, what, what the type of work that we had to do. So the one eighty five. Was the uh, the best for us, and yeah. uh, I think in knowing the industry down here, it was best for all of us. That's why we had more one eighty fives than anything else. Yeah. yeah, and a great airplane, and yeah. and obviously uh, outfits like Southern Seaplanes. That's what their core fleet was. Well, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So these guys were providing <clears throat> crew changes uh, out to the uh, oil rigs. But they were bringing food out, and and the salesmen were going out. I mean, it was it was kind of one of these things, kind of the old way things were done, where they were trying to sell drill bits. But to sell drill bits, that meant that if the the guy running the rig, the manager running the rig, liked a certain bottle of whiskey and a fresh newspaper on Sunday morning, he was literally flying out there with a newspaper, some fresh fruit, and and uh, a bottle of whiskey because that would help him get the business to sell the drill bits to the oil rig. That's right. You know, uh, many, many years, uh, I used, uh, on Sunday I would take off with uh, a bunch of newspapers mm-hmm. and fly out to these different locations and just deliver newspapers <laughs> for a particular company to these uh, different uh, guys that, that would uh, run these fields. Mm-hmm. And um, so it, uh, you know, just that alone just, yeah. just gives you an idea. They spent a lot of money just it's delivering you. Yeah. yeah, and you'd go out with a, a bundle of them. Yeah, that's right. And we'd go all, all along our coast and drop newspapers off, and they'd stamp the newspapers with a particular company name mm-hmm. that was uh, sending the stuff out there to them, you know. And, and that's because these decisions of where to buy the bits were being made on the platform. They weren't being made in a corporate office somewhere. That's right. The, the, the managers running the rigs, the individual rigs, could choose where they bought the drilling mud from or the drill bits yeah. from or the things that they were 
were looking for. You know, I actually saw, in my time, I saw the oil field industry start up down here where they use seaplanes a lot, and I saw it in, okay? And, uh, and what, what, what happened there the, uh, with the computers and all the modern technology that we have now, that it, the salesman, the, 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 uh, the guy on a particular rig, Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, or uh, he would he could order it now on a computer. He didn't need uh, yeah. the salesman to come by and, and try to peddle their goods, so to speak. Yeah, because they were living on an island. I mean, these guys were t- oh, cut off right. from the world. I can remember one field having 18 drilling rigs in one field, mm-hmm. and every rig had a different operator on it. So consequently, we would... we would All we 18 would, you'd yeah, have to go we, to. Yeah, we, we would just go out different ones, you know. And again, they were literally uh, no phone. They had a radio, and that was about it. That was the only connection to the outside world was a radio. Amazing, amazing what the difference from what they had today. But you never very. uh, I tell you what, an inland drilling rig in a Louisiana marsh now is a rarity. Very seldom ever see them. And at one at one time, they were just. Just, uh, just scattered all along our coast, mm-hmm. all along our coast. So that that's why we we carried parts out, people, uh, and whatever they need. We we sometimes uh, we would have a deal where we actually picked up a maybe a sick patient or something even mm-hmm. with the airplane, bring them in, bring them in back into home. And you could, uh, you know, despite the fact that there were so many of them, they were all very remote. And like I said, each one of them kind of like an island. That's right. and it was a uh, completely, this is pre-internet. There was no satellite TV. There was no Nothing. real outside Nothing. connection. When you were on there, you were, you were pretty yeah. isolated. And of course, they, uh, they, the guys uh, uh, lived there on the rigs for, they'd stay out there, you know, seven days on, seven days off type thing. And, um. And we and I, I I've eaten many many dinners on drilling rigs and stuff and but it's it's uh again what a what a what a past yeah I have to say yeah I I quite honestly I yeah. wish I would have been yeah. around for some yeah. of that you know I got to enjoy it kind of at the end through vicariously through Lyle yeah right. uh, but it it's the peak the peak yeah. was oh, yeah. was the gone the peak was amazing you know just uh you wouldn't believe it I just uh. So much stuff going, you know, just moving constantly. You know? Yeah. And so, how many airplane, how many seaplanes did you have at your peak? Because again, there's so much to this story that we're not going to have time to talk about. But I, I would just like to let the listeners know. I mean, literally, by the time you were like 25 or so, I had probably nine. That okay. I, you talk about my, that I operate. Yeah, you had yeah. nine seaplanes. And at my at my seaplane base, so uh, we had uh, uh, maybe as many as uh, 25 to 30. Uh, airplanes that at belonged, the base, yeah, and nine the of base. them were yours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we had, uh, and I, I have some pictures down the hall. I'll show you some of my seaplane pilots that flew for me back then. You know, and then uh, just just show you what a dynamic this guy uh, Charlie is. Uh, he was running this operation with thirty plus seaplanes at his base, uh, but he wasn't satisfied with that, and he ended up creating a flight school here at the Homa Airport, and then wasn't satisfied with that. So, 26, 27, you started an airline? Yeah, I started an airline because we had a need for it. We see, we had, and when, when you look at the oil field industry, they, I did a wonderful business. I, 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 
for flying small parts from Houston Hobby in the Homa. <laughs> Uh, uh, every day because they could my airline would be in Houston and they'd drop a bunch of uh, all fuel equipment uh, that they instead of driving it here they would just fly it here on the airline okay and I operated between Homa Patterson Lafayette Houston Hobby four times a day yeah so uh, yeah it was a uh, that was another part that I that uh, was uh, I enjoyed and uh and then we had a 135 charter operation. We did a lot of uh, multi-engine uh, uh, charter. And uh, all everything we did, though, was all field-related. Now, there's a lot of pictures of doves in here. Did you, I had uh, old Havlin doves. You had doves? I had two of them. Not, not very many people even know no, what a de Havlin dove right. is. Yeah. <laughs> had old uh, pneumatic brakes on that thing. Yeah, uh, great a, airplane. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, and oddly enough, I think uh, Charlie Blair flew doves down in the Virgin Islands, and he was another very historic seaplane operator, had about 21 gooses down in the Virgin Islands, uh-huh. and he had doves. Uh-huh. Uh, and it's a very uh, unusual airplane. Yeah, it is an unusual <laughs> airplane, but a wonderful, a strong airplane. Yeah. You know, yeah. And then you had, uh, what, uh, uh, Bondurantes? Or- Bondurantes. Uh, we bought uh, a Bondurante in, in uh, Brazil. Matter of fact, uh, somewhere along the wall here, it's flying. I got a whole bunch of pictures up yeah, around. Yeah, and uh, and in St. Paulo, Brazil, we bought a new one, and then we also bought a new uh, airplane out of Canada, the old De Havilland, uh, the big airplane, mm-hmm. uh, the Twin Otter. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, we had a lot going on here, and then we had a Cessna four, four Titans, and different things like that. But I did not. Um, I wanted to uh, the Beach 99, and I went up to uh, Joe Caruso's place up, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, up in uh, up in Maine, and uh, I bought uh, my airplane from Mister Caruso. Really? Yeah, <laughs> and uh, yeah, Joe was a was a nice guy, and uh, but the ones he had just didn't. Uh, I just uh, they they were well used because they yeah. wanted to sell some used, uh, 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 you know, small airplanes and. Uh, I didn't want to, I wanted to buy a new one, so that's what happened there. <laughs> well, this is all so fascinating. I mean, we could go on and on. What are some of your fondest memories of flying in southern Louisiana with seaplanes? What, what, what really stood out to you, or what, what, what is that magic that, that was the big reward? Well, of course, I taught a lot of, I see, at one time, I was the only uh, instructor here locally that taught seaplane flying. So I, uh, the oil field industry uh, had a lot of different guys come down, and I taught a lot of people to fly. And I, my, my fond memories were uh, of people that I taught to fly that, that uh, became a real fantastic seaplane pilots. Not because of me, but because of their abilities to fly a seaplane. And, mm-hmm. they did, and they just fit in perfect, and I get a lot of pleasure out of that. Uh, that's why why I, I like to instruct. I, I get a lot of pleasure out of teaching, uh, especially young people to, to fly. And you're still teaching young yeah, people to yeah, fly because I, we I, witnessed that yesterday. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm. Uh, I, it's it's in my 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 blood. You know, what yeah, I mean, I just, that's uh, great. One wonderful thing, and uh, and there's so much wisdom. I think this is what we miss in the flight instruction world. Uh, the way that it's structured is that we really should have our most experienced pilots teaching new pilots, yeah, I think. Yeah, and yeah. unfortunately, 
instruction has become this way to build time. And yeah. for me, uh, we're, you're missing the point of it that we want to capture the wisdom yeah. and the experience of someone like you. You know, I, I, I read a lot about uh, young instructors uh, uh, crashing with students, all right? And um, I, I, I tell my students this, that every once in a while they, they try to kill me, okay? <laughs> <laughs> but it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. I'm going to not let you do me in, all right? <laughs> so maybe, uh, maybe some of the young instructors uh, uh, let students go too far or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know just what the problem is, but I do read uh, uh, a lot about that. And, uh, you know, I'm talking about... I'm talking about 20, 21, 22-year-old instructors having a problem with uh, letting a student go too far, stall the airplane out on takeoff yeah. and all kind of different things. But anyway, that's uh, you're right. Uh, as you get older, you uh, yeah, it, it helps out to, to be a, an older instructor. You have so many resources yeah, to yeah, pull from. Yeah. So, my, you know, speaking of memories, uh, I, you know, I just find it an amazing story that, you know, HOMA today, even here in 2023, is pretty remote. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're we're at the the southwestern yeah, side yeah, of yeah, yes, the Gulf's not too far from uh, us. Yeah, yeah, and and we're about uh, an hour southwest of uh, by driving uh, of New Orleans, yeah. hour and a half. And uh, it's uh, I mean, if you you drive around, you see nothing but hurricane damage. I was looking at some of the statistics. There's been something like 28 hurricanes that have come through here in the last 20 years yeah right <laughs> i mean so this is 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 kind of a a really uh again unique area but also very remote and you actually had the opportunity uh, you know sitting here in this relatively remote area you were approached and had the opportunity to fly with the soil ro- royal family with seaplanes yes we did we flew uh i um and, and actually, it, it, it happened through a Southern Seaplane. They, this uh, gentleman wanted to get a seaplane rating from, because he could. Uh, the, the royal family was doing some work on one of their yachts in New Orleans, and uh, and the skipper uh, noticed seaplanes flying around, so he called, and the Southern Seaplane recommended me because they at the time they were too busy or whatever. The guy came down. And he happened to be the royal family's uh, yacht skipper. Okay. And uh, we became friends. And uh, he uh, went back to Saudi Arabia after he got his seaplane rating from me and told uh, Prince Khalid, which is King Fahd's son, he said, uh, "We, you know, I just met a, a guy in Homer, Louisiana, uh, and then uh, he introduced me to seaplane flying. And he said, I wondered... Uh, I'd like to buy one for our yacht, <laughs> and uh, and they did. And what I did, I I, I went to uh, 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 San Francisco, San, uh, San Diego, excuse me, and uh, and I became an ar- a naval architect. <laughs> <laughs> they 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 were gonna they built this uh, boat, this yacht in front of me over a period of time with a seaplane dock on the back of it, and they wanted me there to to, to show them what, what I think that they would need for this particular boat. Uh-huh. And uh, it was a 250-footer or something like that. Well, we did. I uh, got involved in that, and we, had a, a, we set up a, a, a dock on the back of it, and then it would go up into a slot 
we dropped the gear on the seaplane, and uh, it would go up to a second deck, uh, and then go into a hangar. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's amazing. So I, I was, uh, I was in. They, they got me involved in in, in doing they, that, and yeah. it was kind of a neat thing to work with these. Uh, People from Saudi Arabia oh, or a, a British. The 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 skipper was uh, Peter Jaco, uh, was a wonderful guy and uh, ex Navy pilot and everything. And uh, but uh, we 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 travel all over the world with them. You know, quite a nice thing. Oh, that's amazing. So, what are some of the most difficult challenges of flying here in Southern Louisiana? I know them, but I don't think a lot of people. Uh, that, you know, again, we need to share that with the listeners of, of what the challenges are because the flying here in southern Louisiana in particular is, is very challenging. Well, you know, as a pilot, uh, you can um, – see, we – because of the oil field industry, they were uh, they were a very aggressive type. Uh, you know, most of these people, they need something now, all right? So if the wind was blowing, if it was foggy, or whatever heck the situation might be, they needed that out there, and so you were, you, you're not necessarily forced, but you, if you were a conscientious type person, you would try, at least give it a try. And we flew in some pretty bad weather. We, um, uh, whether it be wind or we had, during the wintertime here, we have a lot of fog here mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And uh, so it was, uh, it was uh, something that you, uh, that you were pushed into doing, and and, uh, and sometimes uh, you know you have to be real careful so you don't you wouldn't get killed doing what you're doing. But it wasn't the case again. Just uh, having a great time doing it. It was a work type thing. You know? Yeah, and you know we had Eric out here yesterday and spent some time with yeah, Eric yeah. and and you know he would tell stories. I mean it, the the environment was so much different because he would tell stories of you know you might have an incident with a 180 or a 185 and they had get you back to the seaplane base and give you a new airplane and off you went. I mean, yeah. they just, I mean, they had, you know, you just had to keep working. And so if you, if you had an incident with an airplane, uh, you would recover the airplane, but you basically had another airplane in many cases for the oil fields, just waiting for you yeah, to oh yeah, they'd do that. Uh, you know, I don't know if you know it or not, but we're losing 35 square miles of South Louisiana a year. I do. Well, yeah. it's because of subsidence, of sea level rise, uh, saltwater intrusion, and the whole bit. And so consequently, that uh, that trend, uh, uh, in other words, over the years, uh, a lot of seaplanes were, were actually turned over because of a shift in sand, all kind of everything. Our whole coast is being is shifting. And it's amazing that I could I can remember places that I that I used to to land <clears throat> I can't I, 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 a canary can walk across here now yeah. because of change of the management of the water coming out <laughs> of the Mississippi and and the management of the water uh, and again what I like is I talk to a lot of old timers that have been here and watched this over you know literally over half a century and it's it's important to recognize that I think uh when we talk about the, the the changes and the damage we're doing, so so often it gets a, a negative connotation. When I talk to the locals here that grew up here, I mean they're the most passionate people about the loss of land because of uh, the management of the Mississippi River and and I I would say mismanagement of mm-hmm. of the resource. Yeah. If you look on a phone, 
on the telephone, you can actually see the, the Mississippi River where it dumps all that, everything in, into the deep Gulf of Mexico. And um, it, it's amazing to me to see it go that fast. In my lifetime, I've seen a tremendous change. The, uh, the airport, as an example, here at Homa, uh, uh, one of our earlier hurricanes, uh, the half the runway, uh, runway 1836 is underwater. Never had happened before. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, and, then, and because of the, what the, the saltwater intrusion killing all the freshwater marsh south of the airport allowed that to happen. Mm-hmm. Where the saltwater intrusion came up and then dumped that. Uh, uh, when, when you got the right combination of hurricane, it, 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 uh, uh, our, our runway was way underwater. Yeah. One of them. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. So to, uh, continue to talk about the challenges here. Um, you know, a lot of people that fly seaplanes don't think you can fly seaplanes at night or have never done it. Uh, I've, both of us have flown seaplanes and landed at night in the water, but you have a hell of a lot more experience, quite honestly, than I do with that. Why don't you talk about some of the challenges of the night flying? And and again, these are straight flow plane landings on water at night. Yeah. Well, uh, because of the oil field industry, again, um, they they depended on me uh, to, uh, they would call uh, all hours of the night, wanted to bring equipment out. And so I, I uh, uh, literally uh, worked uh, all d- during the day and flew all night, many, many nights. And I flew seaplanes um, up in the Chafalaya Basin, which is nothing but solid a- uh, areas of trees, or all the way to the east of us, uh, Chandelier Sound. It's a big old uh, uh, area of, uh, of shallow waters and different things. But do, do, uh, I just didn't keep in mind this, that I was in these different areas uh, a lot. over, over And you knew the, them. Any, well, I knew them. Yeah. And if I couldn't land in a particular spot, I would land in another, and they'd send a crew boat over to me to pick up the equipment, uh, whatever I was bringing out. And so, uh, yeah, I did that for years and years and years. And didn't they, with the crew boats, wouldn't they put the spotlight on the crew well, boat on no, the water? Uh, or no, uh, because I couldn't. Uh, I didn't like that too much. Okay. They, 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 I heard other yeah, stories of yeah, that happening. No, I'd rather land where I could, uh, and my eyes were quite good then. And uh, I'd rather land in uh, in an area. Uh, what I would normally do, I'd fly over it. Let's say, especially up in the Chafalaya, where all these trees are, I'd fly over it and uh, and kind of, you know, get my landing light on 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 an area I wanted to land uh, in, and uh, and then of course uh, come back around and land there. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, it was a uh, that was the most challenging thing, and I tell everybody, I, I was flying a student over recently over that area at night, and I said, you know. Would you believe that, that that in this darkened area down here that I used to come in there at night and I said, uh, you know, and I was a young pilot, <laughs> probably, didn't know, probably didn't know any better, but, uh, but uh, it was quite challenging. And you're talking about hundreds of landings. Oh, hundreds, yeah, and, yeah, and hundreds and hundreds of hours. You know, yeah, just, at uh, night yeah. on yeah. straight floats. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So um, I just – think this is uh you know again it was so important to to have these conversations um so as an instructor with someone of your experience uh what are the most important things to 
teach uh, or the most difficult things to teach uh, seaplane pilots that you thought? Well, I tell you, well, I always tell them just don't don't get out of your box. What I'm saying is, if you you keep in mind that if you're not a if you're not a wind pilot, don't fly in the wind. Mm-hmm. If you're not a, a bad weather pilot, don't fly in bad weather. And and so because keep in mind that some of these guys would come down to us with no experience at all. So a lot of them were were uh, uh, like yourself, quite there. They were well educated. Uh, and uh, a lot of military pilots, and we had to teach them how to fly float planes. But uh, but uh, but again, uh, they tore up a lot of airplanes over the years because <laughs> they uh, they they would go out beyond their 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 abilities to uh, to reason. I'm talking about the, where to land or where to take off or or um, run into different things, you know. And it's just because it, it, nobody you'd almost have to be down here to realize. Uh, the uh, what we actually went through during that time just uh, just a lot of a lot of different things that uh, demanded somebody that that you had to be a good logical thinker you know you have to really stay ahead of everything in order to keep to, to keep yourself from getting killed you know? well I think you had to have great powers of observation and then judgment because there's random pilings all over the place yeah. or a random log or there, there's so many hazards, shallow water, shallow water. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, I've seen, you know, countless photos uh, down here of airplanes that have flipped because they had a sandbar. Yeah, that's right. That's I mean, right. it's, uh, and you can't see it because it's muddy water. No, because uh, we, we uh, down here, you know, you're right. Uh, the water comes from the Chaplai river, a lot of it, and it's muddy. Yeah. So, so you have to know the area, okay? And I grew up with it, and uh, amongst it, and amongst all these different things. So, uh, if you didn't, you know, you you get yourself in a lot of trouble quickly. Oh yeah. So you know, we're all about safety, and this is a good segue to this. What would you tell or try to teach pilots that would, you know, seaplane pilots in particular that would. Uh, keep them out of trouble if if you know you were doing it today uh, when you well, look at things. Well, I would think that if you're gonna if a seaplane pilot came down here to fish, as mm-hmm. an example, and he asked, he came to the airport and asked me uh, where to be the best place to to, to uh, land a seaplane. All right, and I would try to tell him uh, uh, the, the the good places. Okay, but but if he just went out there by himself. And tried to land, you know, you could get yourself in a tremendous amount of trouble. So if you if you don't know the area, you ought to try to find out from a from a, a professional pilot, a local, a local, uh, where to, where to land and take off. If you don't, you'll you'll end up uh, having problems. You know. Yeah. Well, there is so much more for us to talk about. I again, this we could do this all day long. There, I mean, there's so many more aspects. Uh, uh, to the listeners uh, that uh, at some point I hope to uh, sit down with you and talk about because, I mean, this aviation family, the passion, uh, the hangars here at the airport just exude passion uh, for aviation. I, the cars are all Hammond's Air Service uh, cars, uh, that little VW bug out there. And again, the fact that you've put together this amazing museum of artifacts of aviation in your life that we're sitting in right now um, is incredible. And then, 
you know, all this additional stuff like your son being one of the pilots for the original Top Gun movie. There were only four four or five Navy pilots that flew the majority of that movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, a good friend of mine, Ralph Nelson, shot the photo we're looking at right now for the oh, movie, right, yeah. movie really, poster. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Uh, he was the still photographer on the movie. And uh, your son was one of the pilots for Top Gun. Uh, you literally trained uh, Corky uh, Fornoff, who ended up working flying the BD-5 for yeah, Octopussy yeah. Uh, for the James Bond movie. Um, there is so much history here. Your family is so entrenched. Uh, the headline uh, hanging up over in the flight school over there from the New uh, New Orleans Times newspaper. I love the the in huge bold letters on the front page of the new Orleans newspaper. And I don't know what year it was, but there's a thing. Hammond says P 51 is better than yeah, girls. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. Well, I might've lied. <laughs> so uh, there's just so much here. And what it, aviation. <laughs> goodness gracious. If you're an aviator, uh, I'm just, uh, I, I just never wanted to do anything else. Uh, I I just it's been uh, my old bones all my life, and um, wonderful, wonderful experience dealing with airplanes. And uh, I don't know if I, if I ever had to leave it, I don't. I'd probably die real quick. Like I just. Uh, I believe that. Yeah, yeah, I believe every word yeah, of that. Yeah. I so. Just, uh, it's wonderful. And how old are you today? I don't even I'm know. I'm 85 today. 85 yeah, today. Yeah, yeah. And still flight instructing. Yeah, yeah. And and literally, we're not talking about a part-time job oh, for you. Oh, no, no. I, I, uh, I'm, I'm involved in aviation, and um, that's what I do. Yeah. And I've always been, and uh, my wife uh, wants me to re- retire, and but I have a lot, I still have a lot to do, and I still have a lot to take care of, uh, on and on and on, and uh, no, I'm not going to. Uh, I'm gonna, um, I'm gonna uh, pull some, uh, you know. I'm, I'm not gonna let her push me into retiring. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> really. oh, yeah, well, but, well, she knows my life, what it is. So that's what it is. Well, she's lived with it. That's for right. Her. She sure has. Without my my dear wife, you know, we've been in business for over sixty years now, and she was um, a wonderful part of my. Uh, whatever we accomplished. She supported you through all of this. Yeah, Yeah. she sure did. Wonderful woman. She's a Yankee woman. (laughs) On top of that, from from New York. (laughs) You know, everybody says, what an old Cajun boy like myself, why didn't you marry a Yankee woman? You know, but I, but I, uh, I like Yankees. So, (laughs) Anyway, oh, I wasn't even going to bring that up because <laughs> I, because I know that. I mean, yeah. it's funny because the you know she's okay for a Yankee. Oh <laughs> yeah, she sure is. No, she uh, and she never pushes me. One of them says, uh, "I work every day, even now. I work seven days a week." Uh-huh. And um, and uh, other than what the weather's bad or something, but uh, she's uh, always supported me. And. Um, and like I said, my life has a lot more to it than what we talk about here. Oh, it's uh, just, just this uh, is just a, we're just uh, skipping yeah, the stone yeah, off the yeah. surface. And, uh, you know, flying the wonderful Bearcats and the P-51s and all this stuff uh, that I got to fly over the years. And, and um, a wonderful thing. It uh, is. Yeah. 
So we're going to wrap it up for now. I hope we get a chance real soon to sit down again. I'm going to come down here uh, with cameras and we're going to try to do a YouTube video and kind of really just bring a little bit more of this experience for people that can't come down to the museum yeah. uh, to see what you've put together and to learn more about your life. Uh, Charlie Hammonds, you are a seaplane legend. Well, it is an honor. Well, let me tell you what happens to a seaplane legend. <laughs> oh, no. The only reason I'm a seaplane legend is I've been here longer than than God. <laughs> no, I, uh, I've i been here a long time. Done a lot of stuff in, in aviation, uh, in the seaplane end of it. And uh, which uh, seaplanes are near and dear to me, first of all. And uh, I... Uh, uh, good Lord has been good to me, and uh, so I just uh, I got to do exactly what I wanted to do. And seaplanes have, have been, uh, of my aviation career, uh, they mean more to me than than a, a lot of the stuff that I've done. Yeah, I got to fly the F, F-15 recently oh, through, yeah? the, through the speed yeah, of sound. We got pictures that of that. Yeah. yeah, but that's fine. But the old seaplanes are... Um, or close to me, very close. You know? So I want to. I just want to stress that Charlie Hammond says the F, flying the F fifteen through the speed of sound is okay, but seaplanes are really oh, where it's at. Oh yeah, you're right. <laughs> they, they, they won't compare to seaplanes. You know? <laughs> hey, you know I had the uh, I've had the Blue Angels and the Thunderbirds down here flying my seaplanes, both teams. All right, and they couldn't fly them with the dawn. <laughs> so I told them, I said, I tell you what. I'll tell you guys something. That I'm not going back to a Blue Angel Air Show or a Thunderbird Air Show. Until you come learn how to fly. No, I said, until y'all learn how to fly. And, and, and like I said, the seaplanes, they were, way, they were way behind the curve on the seaplanes. <laughs> <laughs> but they, oh. they, they enjoyed them, though. They really did. So. Well, it is an honor. And it always is. Every time I get the chance to be in your company, well, I, I learn. That was nice. I, mean, I really appreciate that. Uh, I learn. Uh, I cherish it. And uh, thank you for living the life you have and, and for living a life that has served our seaplane community uh, so well. Thank you. Well, thank you. Yeah, Thank you for coming down. I appreciate it. <laughs> okay. Uh, this has been a very, very uh, near and dear uh podcast to uh, uh, my heart and I would like to thank Charlie. I hope you guys have enjoyed uh, listening to his story. Until next time, please fly safe, fly often my friends and we'll see you on the next one. We are so glad you joined us today. If you like today's show, I highly encourage you to join the Seaplane Pilots Association and become a member of the largest seaplane community in the world. Members receive Water Flying, the only full-color glossy magazine dedicated to the seaplane community. And it's available in both printed and digital form. Your membership also includes access to the Water Landing Directory app, which has the Seaplane Flight School directory and a calendar of seaplane events not only here in the United States, but around the world. The association hosts regular educational workshops, safety seminars, and gatherings for seaplane pilots and anyone with a passion for seaplanes. So look us up online at seaplanes.org, join our community, and support our mission of protecting and promoting water flying.